North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. You've tuned into the Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to the Dr. Lowe Show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Lowe's Show. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor. Thanks for joining me to hang on the air to talk about a really fun topic. Um, we're talking all about sex, baby, um, but actually sexually transmitted infections, not as exciting. However, um, you know, I think it is a topic that a lot of people can relate to if we're all being real. Um, it affects a good amount of us. Uh, at some point throughout our lives, and there's really not a lot of options, and there's a lot of really crappy information when it comes to this topic. So I am excited to talk all about it with you on the air, and before we do that, I want to give some love to actually our show sponsor this week, which is my soon-to-be-released course, Golden Eggs Fertility. This is going to be launched in the near future. I am I've opened up my wait list for it. So if you want to be the first to know, definitely head over to goldeneggsfertility.com to be uh, notified as soon as the course is launched and it's live. Really excited to bring to you what I have learned over the years, what I've implemented over the years with my patients and helping them to prepare their bodies to have a baby. Now, this course is not if you're trying to get pregnant yesterday. This is the course that is for you if you feel like your clock is ticking. You don't want to get pregnant right now necessarily, but you want to look into things. You would like to get your hormones balanced. You want to do whatever you can to increase your fertility and prolong it as long as possible. So this is pretty much me, my demographic. I'm 36. I do want to be a mother sometime in the somewhat near future. And and these are things that I'm implementing for myself, supplements I'm taking, the lab work that I'm looking into right now to really see where things are at and do whatever I can to increase my fertility and prolong it naturally. And I'm really happy to say that I'm more fertile now at 36 than I was in my early 20s. So ladies and gentlemen, it's working. So if this sounds interesting to you, if you'd like to be one of the first to hear about it, head over to goldeneggsfertility.com and sign up on the wait list and you will be the very first to know when this bad boy launches. I cannot wait. All right. So just real quick about my guest on the show tonight is Dr. Marian Marchese and she's been on the podcast before, but a little bit about her. So Dr. Marchese, she is the author of Eight Weeks to Women's Wellness. She graduated from the same naturopathic school I went to, National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, and she completed a two-year postgraduate residency in integrative medicine. And her focus is really mostly on women's health. She uses a lot of the same kind of treatments that I use in my practice, so botanical medicine, bioidentical hormones, homeopathy, detox, IV therapy, and a lot more lifestyle, you know, exercise, diet, guidance. Um, you know, the things that really work. Um, Dr. McKaysey blends both conventional and natural treatments. And she was also named Phoenix Magazine's top doctor issue um, in the top doctor issue for 2010, 2014, and 2016 as the top naturopathic physician in that area. She is a badass, excited to bring her back on the show. So let's jump into it. We're talking all about sexually transmitted infections and uh, and how we can approach this from a naturopathic perspective. This is not something we talked about in the show. We did do a show years ago on how to have a healthy vagina, so we'll have some overlap, but real specifically about STIs. And uh, Dr. Marchese recently get, gave this lecture at the uh, annual naturopathic conference, and it was so well received. And I knew it was something that so many of you guys will want to learn about because it's kind of taboo. You don't really hear about this information, and if you hear about it. A lot of times it's the wrong information. So Dr. Marchese, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So um, why such an interest in STIs? 
I know that you, you have a focus on women's health. I'm curious what has you interested in focusing in this for people? Well, in my practice, I mostly see women who are experiencing some type of vaginitis symptom who come to me after conventional treatments fail. And I do a little bit more extensive type of testing to really find the root cause and then implement natural treatments. And women finally get better after having failed treatment. So I really wanted to like spread the word. So women or maybe other doctors know a better approach to take so they don't have to go through failed treatments and suffer. Yeah. No kidding. It's uh, STIs, STDs. So first off, what's the difference between STIs and STDs? Well, STD is the old language, sexually transmitted disease. And um, somewhere along the way, you know, the healthcare institutes and professionals felt it had a bit of a stigma. And so they're really trying to change the language to STIs, sexually transmitted infections, because that's Mm -hmm. what these are. These are infections, uh, not necessarily diseases. Yeah. I like that language. And because there's so much, you know, so much hush hush and shame around mm-hmm. it all. And, and I will say as a practitioner who has seen many, many patients over the years, it's extremely common for patients to have STIs, to have had a history of them so many more than you would think. So people who are, any of you guys listening, if this is something you, you deal with, you've dealt with, it's very, very common. There's no shame needed. And we really just want to empower you and give you information about it so you can understand your body more and know how to, you know, navigate this topic for yourself. So um, just want to preface it with that Um, because we love you and you're beautiful. You're perfect. If there's something you deal with now or in the past, or if you know someone who does, it's all good. It's all love. Um, So let's jump into it. So let's talk about vaginitis first thing. What is it and and what's what's going on with this that you see with, with ladies? Well, I'm trying to get patients and other practitioners to understand that bacterial vaginitis actually can be now classified as an STI, a sexually transmitted infection, depending on what bacteria you have. You know, typically we think of a sexually transmitted infection is chlamydia gonorrhea, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you think you have like a vaginal yeast infection or vaginal bacterial infection, but the organism causing the vaginitis can be passed sexually from a male partner. And that's a really important distinction for people to understand that we're not really just talking about the taboo chlamydia gonorrhea. I'm actually talking about yeast and bacterial vaginitis as a sexually transmitted infection. Wow. So a yeast infection can be sexually transmitted. Yeah, they're actually now finding that uh, if you test and swab the shaft of the male penis that and do what's called a yeast culture or something called a wet mount, that you can find chronic candida albicans. And he may or may not have symptoms. Maybe he has a little bit of white patches on the penile shaft, or maybe he has a little bit of itching, but he can actually have candida um, and be passing it under the right circumstances to the vaginal canal. Mm-hmm. So, so, and when you mean the right circumstances, it could be that if the woman has imbalances in her physiology or her pH is off or the bacterial, you know, growth is off in her vaginal um, area, that that can make her more prone to getting that, that issue from him, correct? Yes, you're absolutely correct. There's three things that really need to be in place for a woman to have a healthy vaginal canal where she is not prone to yeast or bacterial infections. And that's the pH of the vaginal canal should be between 3.8 and 4.5. The normal healthy flora of the vaginal canal should contain plenty of lactobacillus species. And then hormone, estrogen levels in the vaginal epithelium need to be balanced. Mm -hmm. And if those are in place, she, even if she's exposed, she might not get an overgrowth of yeast or bacteria. I love that you said this because we don't want you ladies going out there being afraid of having sex with your partner. That's not what we're trying to do. And it's the same thing as you don't want to be afraid to go travel or to be outside and think you're going to be sick all the time. It's really how can you keep your body as healthy as you can to where you're resilient and you're not, you know, feeling like a victim to enjoying your life. So 
let's talk about how to do that. So first off is the pH. What can affect the pH and make that out of balance for ladies? So what can affect it is different types of spermicides or lubricants, uh, which can be part of, you know, prevention of sexually transmitted um, infections in terms of types of condoms that people might be using or films that people might be using. Um, Medications that people take can throw the pH out of balance. Having abnormal bacterial, healthy bacterial levels like lactobacillus, and then your hormone balance balance can throw the pH out of balance. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sperm is quite alkaline, correct? Yes. And sperm itself uh, can actually change the pH of the vaginal flora. Okay. So let's say a woman is trying to get pregnant. And so they're obviously, you know, she's having sperm enter her canal uh, probably repeatedly. How does, is there a way to prevent from getting an infection from that? Or is that just something she has to kind of, you know, deal well, with during that process? If her pH is balanced and his pH is balanced, and you can determine that by him doing a semen analysis, they'll actually measure the pH in the semen, um, then there, it shouldn't cause an, uh, you know, an overgrowth of yeast or bacteria if they are both in balance. Right. Okay. So she's more prone to imbalances and that can be more of an issue for her. Yes. Um, and then for the bacteria balances, so the second thing you're talking about is the lactobacillus. And I know there's other bacteria that, so it's normal to have some gardnerella and some yeast, right? It's a whole ecosystem in there, correct? But it's just that That's balance. correct. For it being such a small space, there's a lot going on. And there's a whole, uh, you know, like a rainforest in there. <laughs> That's right. And just like on, you know, the skin of our arm, we have some amounts of, you know, bacteria that protect us, which are, are normal. Same thing in the vaginal canal. You know, there's some amount of candida, some amount of lactobacillus, some amount of gardnerella, which is a bacteria uh, is normal. It's just, are they in the right proportions and ratios that they do not cause symptoms? Yeah. And how does a woman know if, if this is balanced for her? Uh, well, there's a little swab that you can do to test the pH and test for something called amines because too high levels of bacteria will produce some amines. Um, and then there's vaginal cultures, which can actually check for all these different organisms and see what's in balance. Mm-hmm. A lot of times for our patients, we'll send them a, a kit and they can use a swab and insert it and actually send it into the lab and we'll check and see how things look. We use it through doctor's data and it's really helpful information, especially if there's ongoing infections that just don't seem to get better. You know, like, like we talked before the call, they, they retreated, you know, for BV over and over and it's just not getting to the root of the problem. So, um, so that's been really, really helpful. Um, is there, so is that something you do in your office where you guys will collect and then check for those things, the amines and, and the pH? Yeah. We have a couple of in-office swabs that uh, it's just called the VSCENT swab, which can be done right. It's a rapid developed test right there in office. And I can tell them in 30 seconds what the pH and if there's a means present. So that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. And conventionally trained gynecologists, are these the kind of tests that they're running? Yeah, they will do vaginal pH paper where you just swab some discharge from the vaginal canal and rub it on the pH paper, which can tell you if it's um, imbalanced or if it's too alkaline or too acidic. And then they'll also take the discharge and plate it on a microscope plate and look under the microscope, and that's called a wet mount. And that what that does is it says, is there some type of yeast or some type of bacteria? But none of these in-office tests tell you what strain or specific type of abnormal bacteria is present. And that is why some women are not getting treated properly. Mm -hmm. And how do they get that information? So that's done through PCR testing. So that, you know, they need to come in and see their doctor and that's a swab called a PCR test. And that goes out to a lab and it's a little bit different than a vaginal culture. And it checks for more than just yeast and gardnerella. It can check for kind of more atypical or uncommon bacteria such as ureplasma and mycoplasma, but I'm seeing these organisms present more commonly than maybe even five years ago, and those two specific bacterial strains can be coming from the male partner, and I would call those a sexually transmitted bacterial infection. Wow. So let's say someone listening goes to their conventional gynecologist and wants to run 
the PCR, they just have to request that specifically, right? Because they probably wouldn't have that run just as normal routine testing. So typically if a woman really isn't what I call like a frequent flyer in terms of getting chronic vaginitis and it's their first signs and symptoms in five, six years, even I just do sort of the standard basic testing because Gardnerella is the most common bacteria that causes uh, BV, bacterial vaginitis. But Mm -hmm. if I balance the flora, balance the pH, balance her hormones, treat the the bacteria and she doesn't get better, then I'll do the PCR testing for the more uncommon bacteria. And oftentimes that is when I discover the ureplasma, the mycoplasma. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, those are those are infections that no one ever talks about. Mycoplasma, ureplasma. That's right. Yeah, and we'll talk about treatments and stuff towards the end of the show because there's lots of different options beyond just medication. Absolutely. Um, So, anything else about vaginitis, and then we'll shift and talk about HPV. No, I think that, you know, it's just key for patients and practitioners to remember, you know, if she's having chronic vaginitis or if it's her first vaginitis and you treat and don't get better, make sure you're doing additional testing for the uncommon atypical bacteria. And if ureplasma and mycoplasma specifically are present, he needs to be tested and treated as well, just as if he had chlamydia or gonorrhea and he was passing it. And he might not know he has these because he he might not have symptoms. And how does he get tested? Is it like a swab or a blood test? Urine. Okay. Got it. And then it's PCR through the urine. That's correct. The guy. Cool. Very helpful. Um, random question. How about a lube that doesn't throw off the pH? Is there one that you recommend? Um, yeah. So there's a couple of great lubricants that are kind of considered more, oh, I don't know, you know, natural or healthy that you can get online um, at a couple of the women's centered uh, stores. Where I live in Phoenix, we don't have any of these stores. So I have to send them to like Shebop dot uh, com, which is in Portland, Oregon, in California, where you are, uh, Dr. Noel, there's uh, good vibrations. And so online, uh, they have, they all have online stores and you can get not only lubricants that are, um, pH friendly, paraben free. You can get condoms that are maybe made of hypoallergenic materials or a material that doesn't irritate or change the pH of the vaginal canal. Um, I'm curious about coconut oil. What are your thoughts on that? So coconut oil is a great lubricant. Um, You know, it's not going to prevent sexually transmitted infections, but it's a great lubricant. It has some very mild antifungal, antibacterial effects as well. So I would recommend that as a lubricant. Cool. But you don't think it's going to throw off the the normal flora? or or I haven't seen it throw off the normal flora. Cool. Let's talk about HPV. So this is an epidemic and men and women, let's talk about it. And, um, you know, and how do we approach it naturopathically? So human papilloma virus, again, I consider it a sexually transmitted virus. He has absolutely no symptoms of having human papilloma virus high-risk strains. High-risk strains are the specific strains that makes a woman's pap smear abnormal. You know, when we do a pap smear, we're checking the cells of the cervix to see if they're abnormal. What makes them abnormal is this virus, human papillomavirus. And so we can't test it for men or is that possible? Well, we're starting to be able to test it for men. The main place that men need testing is in their throats. So for example, I've got three, you know, fellas age 25 to 40 right now that came to see me because I was treating either their wife or their girlfriend for an abnormal pap smear and cervical HPV. And I had them come in um, and I swabbed their throat and they had HPV in their throat. The other place I sometimes check for men and women is in the anal canal, depending on the type of sexual activity they have performed. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be in the anal canal as well. Of men or women? Yes, men or women. So throat, anal canal, and the cervix for women. And so you just use like a swab and send that off and you can check for the virus in those areas? 
For the throat, it's a, um, it's a red top fluid-based swab. All the labs have it for viruses. For the anal canal, it's called an anal pap smear. And it's a, it comes with its own separate little uh, cytobrush. Mm-hmm. And it goes into the same little liquid-based cytology that we put a woman's pap smear you know, mm-hmm. sample in. Yeah, got it. Now, when people hear HPV, I know that cervical cancer is something that, that definitely pops in the mind and it's commonly being more associated with that. Um, so from what I understand, having HPV, it doesn't mean you're going to get cancer. And in fact, the, the, the rate of it turning into that is actually quite low. However, if you have, and, and also depending on the strain, of course, and if you have cervical cancer or, um, or uh, oral pharyngeal cancer, it's a very high chance that it's related, that, that it's due to HPV. Is that correct? So in terms of the high-risk HPV strains, there's over 118 different strains. About 40 HPV um, strains or types can infect both women and men, and they can infect the throat, the vaginal canal, the anal canal, and the cervix. Of those 40 you know, there's really about five that are the main five strains linked to cancer of the throat, of the anal canal, and of the cervix. Now, in the United States, we have pretty good health care and access to screenings and pap smears. So our rates of these cancers are fairly low. Um, just because you've been exposed to the virus doesn't mean it's going to turn into cervical throat or anal cancer. There's a lot of other factors that have to be in place uh, for the development of cancer. Okay, got it. So, okay, let's say in the case with the patient, you know, the woman coming in with dysplasia and then her partner had uh, HPV in his throat. What do you do in that case, let's say for the partner? Yeah, so it's really important that he gets treated and we know exactly what type of HPV he has in the throat. Uh, Genotype 16 is really, you know, accounts for about 75% of all the throat and cervical cancers. And so if his or her throat swab does come back for um, positive for HPV, I send him to an ear, nose, and throat doctor to scope in the throat and see if there's any lesions or any signs of inflammation or any area that might need to have a biopsy sample from the throat. Typically, it hasn't even gotten to that point yet. And so we use natural treatments, just like for women with abnormal pap smear, to kill and get rid of the HPV. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like for, for when men and women? We, we did talk about escherotic treatment years ago, but it's been a long time since we've touched on this topic. So it, it starts much more mild than escherotic treatment, actually. So, <laughs> Good uh, for, thing. <laughs> yeah, so, so for throat, there's actually some lozenges, rinses, and sprays of an herb called green tea. And it's specifically, it's an extract of green tea. Um, and that you can, you know, with the lozenge, the rinse, and the spray, get it right onto the throat and to the tissue there. And then orally patients want to, you know, there's several herbs that have been beneficial for oral throat HPV. That's curcumin, resveratrol, uh, high-dose vitamin C, methyl folate with methyl B12, uh, green tea, and a lot of different antiviral herbs that we use. You know, there's probably 30 different antiviral herbs. I kind of pick like my favorite five. Mm -hmm. So cool. I love this. This is so, so helpful for people and so empowering too. It's like you you have this virus, but, but let's do antiviral. But also a lot of what you're mentioning is how to make the immune system stronger to where it's not as susceptible to having that virus affect the body. Right. And there's great research using those natural medicines I just mentioned with HPV and specifically with um, cervical dysplasia, which is like a mild abnormality of the cervical cells from the virus. Mm -hmm. So let's say you end up doing the the anal test and someone has HPV 16 showing, but maybe there aren't lesions. Um, So would would there be maybe some suppositories and then an oral protocol as well? 
Yeah, so you would use some of the same medicines I just mentioned, you know, orally by mouth. But yes, um, if if HPV is present in the anal canal, uh, then next would be a scope to make sure there isn't any lesions or areas that need to be biopsied. And then we use a compounding pharmacy to compound either or both green tea anal suppositories or curcumin anal suppositories. And those are my two favorite suppositories I also use vaginally for um, cervical HPV. Wow. Okay, cool. And so let's say, uh, you know, it, it gets further along and now the woman has dysplasia or, um, uh, you know, and there's varying degrees of that, then something like escharotic treatment would be an option, right? Right. So, you know, if um, there is abnormal cervical cells on a pap smear with HPV present, she, uh, you know, we send her off to have a little bit closer examination of the cervix and some little biopsy samples so we know exactly the extent of it. And if it's just mild dysplasia, um, a lot of times the vaginal suppositories along with some of the oral supplements, um, including some that balance out hormones, are enough. Other times, though, uh, if it's more of a moderate or severe cervical dysplasia, kind of looking a lot more precancerous, then we would do the escharotic treatment, which is a a 10 treatments over about five and a half weeks. And that's when you go into your, usually it's a naturopathic doctor, and they apply uh, some, some various herbs that help to basically create an eschar, which is like a scab. So it helps to slough off the, the, um, uh, abnormal cells and then helps with regrowth of new cells. Right. Right. So a patient really needs to see a physician who is a licensed naturopathic physician, because a lot of the medicines that we use for escharotic treatment have to be uh, prescribed and compounded at a compounding pharmacy, because it's a zinc chloride solution, which comes from the pharmacy uh, with a sanguinary tincture that's from our herbal medicinaries. Um, along with bromelain powder, and then again, we compound curcumin and green tea suppositories as part of the treatment. Mm -hmm. And it's very effective, very effective, great success with it. So, so cool. I love, I love telling women about that option because they, they're obviously never told that that's an option anywhere else. Right. That's right. How do they know it? Yeah. All right. So we've talked about a lot of different topics. Let's talk a little bit about a controversial one as this is in line with STIs, let's talk about vaccines, specifically Gardasil. So doc, what is your take on the Gardasil vaccine? Well, the Gardasil vaccine has some benefits and some pitfalls. One of the pitfalls is the development of the Gardasil vaccine initially um, included four strains. And two of the strains are completely unnecessary, and they have yet to update the vaccine, and I wish they would. So, for example, it includes strains 6, 11, 16, and 18. Well, strains 6 and 11 have nothing to do with cervical dysplasia, cancer of the throat, the anal canal, or the cervix. Strains 6 and 11 are warts. They cause warts. And I'm just not sure we really need a vaccine against warts because they're pretty easy to treat. (laughs) So that's one of the pitfalls. Um, I really wish they would reformulate the vaccine um, and just have 16 and 18 and maybe throw in uh, two other commonly uh, transmitted strains. So, you know, one could really make the case that the Gardasil vaccine having strain 16 in it is worthwhile in and of itself. The reason being HPV strain 16 accounts for 75% of cervical cancers. And typically that is the strain that causes uh, throat cancer and changes in the anal canal also. So, you know, the vaccine, you know, it's, it's not perfect. Um, um, a lot of women who get the vaccine and, uh, and they have all three of the shots because it's a series of three shots. Honestly, they're, they're very upset when they have an abnormal pap smear and they have cervical dysplasia and they have to go down the roller coaster of treatment for it because it only covers two strains. Mm, got it. So there are other high-risk strains that the vaccine doesn't protect for. There's about 30 different high-risk strains. I'd say there's about six main high-risk strains. 
And like I said, I've had patients who've had the vaccine and they still end up with cervical dysplasia and still at risk for cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. What about any of the downsides or the risks of, of having the vaccine? Any, anything I, that? I personally in, gosh, all the years that the vaccine has been out have only had two patients who claim they've had some side effects from the vaccine other than just like redness and swelling where the shot you know, goes in in the arm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, out of numerous uh, patients, uh, I've, I've only had two who claim to have sort of more of a long-term side effect from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've read something about like, was it Guillain-Barre or maybe autoimmune being affected? Is that, but I haven't done a lot of looking into on that. So anything that you know about that regarding the vaccine? Really, really small percentage. So, you know, there is a website where physicians can report uh, adverse reactions to vaccines. And if you go and look up Gardasil, you'll see most of it is local injection site reactions. Mm -hmm. But there are a few reports of kind of neurological issues, uh, one being Guillain-Barre, but I do believe it's a very, very small percentage side effect, very small. So in your opinion, do you think that the Gardasil vaccine is a good idea for anyone? And if it is, who would that maybe be? Or is it kind of a... Believe it or not, I don't think it's a good idea for women because with women, we're really talking about vaccinating against preventing cervical cancer, um, which starts with cervical dysplasia. And there's only two high-risk strains in it, um, and they still can end up with cervical dysplasia, cervical cancer due to other strains of HPV not in the vaccine. Uh, you know, the only way to really prevent transmission is the use of condoms. Mm-hmm. One might make the case with kind of an emergence of um, new reports of throat cancer due to HPV, um, which mostly right now seems to be linked to HPV 16. But again, other strains can cause those cells to change uh, as, as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very interesting. So what about for maybe homosexual individuals where there might be more at risk, um, practices maybe regarding the anal canal? Well, actually, when you look at the studies of between, um, HPV transmission, anal dysplasia, anal cancer in the population of men who have sex with men and men who have sex with women, there is not an increased risk in the population of men who have sex with men. Hmm. So both groups are at risk, men, women, no matter what type of sexual practices, partners, if there's any type of anal uh, penetration, you can get uh, HPV in the anal canal. And mm-hmm. I think we're also starting to see migration and mutation of um, the virus strains. Because um, I've even had a patient, um, a female patient who swears she has never had receptive anal intercourse, but her anal pap smear came back positive for dysplasia and HPV high risk strains detected. Hmm. Interesting. So maybe it migrated, you said, from another. Possibly. I mean, I think, you know, that's going to be kind of an emerging area of research and study. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So besides using condoms um, and the vaccine, but maybe that's kind of a waste um, for a lot of the other high risk strains. Are there, is there any other way to protect oneself from getting HPV or probably those two main things? Well, barrier transmission is a way to prevent it. A lot of times people simply think that that means using condoms uh, for, you know, penetrative intercourse. But Mm -hmm. as you can see with uh, talking about changes in the throat and HPV detection in the throat, that even oral intercourse uh, whether it's men who have sex with men, men who have sex with women, women who have sex with men, women who have sex with women, mm-hmm. uh, you can use barrier protection for for oral intercourse as well, but nobody's really using that. Right, right. Was that like a, a dental dam? Exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. But, late, so. but latex prevents transmission, yeah. True, it's true. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Any? Oh, can you talk about the role of folate and methylation? 
So, yes. Yeah, so that's really interesting. I think a lot of um, people are kind of becoming aware of how important a process, a cellular process in the body called methylation is in terms of our health. And we know that um, HPV cells, so the human papillomavirus cells, can be either over or under methylated. Typically, they are under methylated, which causes the cells of the cervix to kind of become abnormal faster is kind of the easiest way to say it. And so that's why um, when I use B12 and folate in my treatment plan, I use the methylated form of B12 and folate to help with the methylation of the HPV cell. Mm-hmm. Does Got that it. make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And, um, and I remember reading that birth control pills can be associated with higher dysplasia risk. And that has to do with two factors. One, many oral contraceptive pills, even the mini pill, the progestin-only pill, can deplete folate and B12. Mm-hmm. And irregardless of methylation status, simply having low blood folate and low blood B12, women can have higher rates of HPV-related dysplasia. Mm -hmm. The second thing the birth control pill can do, and this brings us back to vaginitis actually, is the birth control pill, you know, its job is to shut down a woman's hormones so she doesn't ovulate and get pregnant, but it can cause a hypoestrogen state of the cervix and the vaginal canal. Mm -hmm. So that means low estrogen in that area, which that makes the pH more alkaline, right? Yep. You can get, so you're more susceptible to cervical cell changes from HPV and even vaginitis infections. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Also too, having the proper pH helps to prevent HIV transmission, right? Yes, absolutely. The proper pH um, and then making sure the normal flora is in balance. Wow, that is wild. So if you have imbalanced pH and your hormones are out of balance, that makes your 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 vaginal canal more more likely to get infections, including HIV. That's wild. Yes, yes. So crazy. So um, anything else about HPV that you think would be good to talk about? No, I think you covered most of it. Cool. So what about the other guys? Like, let's talk about herpes. Yeah. So, you know, herpes, another sexually transmitted virus, you know, people don't worry as much about that virus because it can never cause cancer. Mm-hmm. So human papillomavirus gets a lot of attention and they created a vaccine because if left unchecked, meaning you don't ever see a doctor and get your annual pap smears, you know, HPV could turn into cervical cancer. But like I said, that's really rare in this country. But um, herpes, you know, it, it, it causes painful lesions. So it's really an annoyance yeah. <laughs> more than a threat, you know, a long-term threat to our health. Mm-hmm. And the only real threat would be if a woman has an active infection when she's giving birth, right? Yes. Then it can be passed, uh, during vaginal delivery. Absolutely. And then affect the neonate. So how common is HPV? I didn't ask about that. And also herpes. Um, both are very common. I actually think HPV is more common than herpes. The Mm -hmm. reason is because men and women don't know they have HPV. So he has no signs and symptoms at all. There's no real testing for him other than anal and throat. She doesn't get signs and symptoms. It doesn't cause vaginitis or pain. It shows up during her well woman's examined pap smear. Mm-hmm. Herpes, you know you have it. And so people avoid intercourse until they get treated and it clears up and then they can't spread it. But when yeah. you don't know you have something, you're spreading it all over the place. Yeah, totally. So do you think that just as women go and get regular pap smears that men who have been sexually active should just go and get their throat swab just to check? Yes. Yeah. Trying to get them to do that will be a whole nother story, (laughs) but I do. (laughs) Oh, okay. So let's see. What else about herpes? So let's say someone listening, they, they get recurrent herpes. What can they do? Well, they need to see a naturopath because I'm telling you for herpes, 
yeast infections, bacterial infections, and HPV, we have amazing treatments. We yeah. actually can treat viruses. We can boost the immune system. We can balance out the vaginal flora and the pH and hormones. The first thing they need to do is seek out a naturopath because we have amazing antiviral herbs, both topically for herpes lesions and orally for treatment and prevention. Mm -hmm. Rarely do I have to prescribe the main drugs like acyclovir, valcyclovir. And we talk about diet. There are definitely triggers right. in the diet that can make you way more prone for getting herpes. And a lot of them are staples in the paleo diet. So right. those are nuts, chocolate, and coconut. Sorry, guys. But, uh, you know, and you don't have to avoid those foods completely. But if you're pounding those foods and you're getting recurrent outbreaks, could definitely be a link. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. And, uh, and, and so good ideas for herpes infections. Let's say there is an outbreak. What topically can be done? I know I've used lavender for patients. Also, um, unfortunately, Lycrogel no longer available. Such a bummer. Well, but we, can comp but we can compound uh, something similar now uh, at your compounding pharmacy. You know, they can do a little, uh, you know, like a salve, a little antiviral salve. A couple of the companies, uh, the nutrient companies that we use at my office also make antiviral salves. And so it's got like three or four of our main antiviral herbs, and you can apply that salve right onto the lesion. Cool. Do you know off, off, off your top of your head which herbs you use in those? Um, I know it's got Melissa and Glyceriza in it, those two for sure. Okay, cool. So those are lemon balm and licorice for you guys listening. So, okay, cool. And um, and lysine as well, guys. That's a great amino acid for recurrent herpes. Um, that helps to balance out the arginine and a lot of those foods that I just mentioned. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay, cool. And then obviously there's other ones like gonorrhea and chlamydia. Anything naturopathically we could do for those or are those just basically? No, those you really have to treat with an antibiotic. Uriplasma and mycoplasma also, um, because there's such atypical, uncommon bacterial infections that are spread sexually also respond best to um, antibiotic treatment. Okay. And those are but usually, is it metronidazole, which is flagell, no, right? Okay. No, flagell won't. Flagell's great for trichomonas, right? Um, but it won't touch uriplasma or mycoplasma. Uh, typically, doxycycline mm -hmm. um, is the main stay, but he has to be treated also. If you're only treating her for uriplasma mm -hmm. or mycoplasma with an antibiotic, he's he could easily give it right back to her. Okay. And, and those are the ones that can be done with the urine test with the PCR, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Now, if it's just simply like a simple Gardnerella bacterial infection, I rarely use an antibiotic. We have right. some amazing vaginal suppositories that contain vitamin C and garlic and tea tree, uh, vaginal probiotic suppositories that can kill off Gardnerella and rebalance the vaginal flora. Mm -hmm. So how, what are your thoughts on hydrogen peroxide as a rinse for recurrent BV? Well, I'm finding that I don't need it as much. Um, you know, hydrogen peroxide, the benefit is uh, establishing a change in a pH. And oftentimes if I use the um, probiotic vaginal suppositories, the getting the lactobacillus population up producing its own lactic acid then balances out the ph right yeah I so it's really too. they're really ph balancing treatments is totally what those, those two totally are. i i liked i like giving that to my lady patients as an option who they're used to using maybe metrogel or metronidazole right that they can use it for a week or two use that as a rinse to to get rid of the bv and then you know use the probiotics like you said to maintain that and just nice right. to have another option um let's right. talk about yeast infections so yeah let's say someone listing has yeast infection right now, what can she do? And maybe she doesn't want to use monostat. Yeah. So I rarely have to use over-the-counter monostat or even prescription um, diflucan, which is, you know, fluconazole, because boric acid is amazing. And the reason I really like using vaginal boric acid suppositories is because there's different strains of yeast in the vaginal canal that can cause infections. Um, yeast infections is called candida. Candida albicans is the most common, but 
women can have something called can candida glabrata and glabrata doesn't respond to conventional diflucan fluconazole monostat glabrata only really responds to boric acid Mm. so why not just use boric acid for both especially if the doc hasn't uh, determined what species of yeast she has Mm -hmm. so is that administered like inserting a capsule at bedtime for a week or so or how, how is that done Uh, I do it at a compounding pharmacy, Mm -hmm. um, or there's also an over-the-counter product by Vitanica that has uh, calendula, lactobacillus, and boric acid as a suppository, and they insert it vaginally before bed. Mm -hmm. Is that yeast arrest? Yes. Okay. Got it. Cool. And then let's say you prescribe it through a pharmacy. How, How many days do you usually have them on it? Usually a week is all it takes. Okay. Cool. And then maybe doing the probiotics after that. Absolutely. You know, and there's some really great research on using quercetin uh, for women for um, yeast infections. And a lot of people, you know, they're already taking quercetin maybe for allergies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so they have it at home. And that's really nice to add in. What about essential oils? Any usage of these, maybe vaginally? I haven't used essential oils uh, vaginally, so I don't have any experience with that personally. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I know. I, I, gosh, it's like here in San Diego, it's booming, the essential oil craze. So ladies yes. are just putting it everywhere. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, okay. Any other? So trichomonas, we didn't really touch on that. What? What is that? So trichomonas is another um, bacteria that is sexually transmitted. It's not as difficult to test and treat as uh, as ureplasma, mycoplasma. Um, And it responds either to an antibiotic vaginal gel or some of the same uh, antibacterial vaginal suppositories like the vitamin C and the tea tree and kind of the oral support that I already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Cool. Any other uh, STDs or sorry, STIs that we didn't talk about? I think we covered a lot. <laughs> we went through it. Cool. Well, any, um, yeah, I think that's a, a good rundown for everybody. And um, uh, yeah, I just want to ask you the common, how common they were. I've asked about the lube. I think those are all my questions. Yeah. So- I think the take home message for listeners is that, you know, It's really important to see a doctor who's going to address the root cause of vaginal infections, HPV, herpes. Why is a patient getting these infections? Why is her immune system weakened that she can't fight this off herself? It's important to see a doctor that understands that he could have these and he could be passing it to her. And are they testing and treating the male partner as well. And then just remembering there are natural treatments for many of these. Yes, some do require an antibiotic, but a lot of them can be treated without that. Yeah. And not forgetting that the gut is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And very rarely do you see a gynecologist that considers the gut or where you're eating and putting in your digestive system because that translates to everything. I mean, it makes sense that if you have a, a, a yeast infection, oftentimes doctors give you a pill for your yeast infection. So obviously there's a connection there. Absolutely. Um, so don't forget about the gut, as any, any naturopathic doctor would say. Absolutely. Well, Doc, I so appreciate your time with us. This was so interesting and so helpful. And I think every woman and every man should listen to it, and, and especially doctors, to know this information. So if you guys listening, please send it to your doctor. Please send it to friends. I need to know this life, really very life-saving information. So thank you so much for your generosity and spending time with us. And where can people follow what you are up to? So you can follow me at my website, which is drmarchese.com, D-R-M-A-R-C-H-E-S-E.com. And I have articles that people can read about health topics. I have links to my YouTube channel, and there's information about my book, Eight Weeks to Women's Wellness, and how women can read uh, that book and, you know, kind of empower themselves to be proactive in their own health. Yes, I highly recommend that book. And it relates to this topic is if you're having these, these frequent infections, let's look at kind of the, the base of everything. How can we start from with a, with a strong base and, and get to the root of it? So highly recommend that. Thanks so much, Doc, for joining oh, us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. We'll talk real soon. Take care. All right. Take Thanks. care. Bye-bye. 
All right, my loves, that is the show. What a fun topic, right? And there's so many pearls and just little nuggets of goodness and wisdom in that interview that I really think that every person who's sexually active and every parent, I think, should listen to this show just to know that there's more options out there than just you go to Planned Parenthood, you get an antibiotic for some chlamydia, right? There's like really understanding your reproductive health, really understanding um, how your vagina works and how um, viruses can affect the body and um, and just really getting your body healthy as a whole so you're less susceptible to, for different infections. So I just, I love that interview. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. Um, I know I learned a lot myself and, you know, I've been in practice for a good, good amount of years now. So I love learning more information and I kind of do this podcast selfishly because I get to learn even more. So, um, I get to take you guys with me on the journey. I, um, I love you so much. Thank you so much for joining and for listening. And, um, thank you also just a special thanks to you guys who have done, um, reviews on iTunes. I so appreciate it. If you have been listening to the show and you're getting some value, please just pause this, take a couple seconds, go over to iTunes. Um, what you need to do is actually search for the podcast on its own. So rather than if you're already subscribed, you actually have to press the search bar and type in Dr. Lowe, you'll find the show and then you can add a review on there. And of course, if you're an Android user, Stitcher works great. I would be so grateful. So thank you for those. It really does help to increase the, um, the visibility of the show and the more people who hear it, the more people we can help. So we're all in this thing together. Thank you guys. I love you. And we'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon. How do you feel about your office? Is it just a space for employees to work? Or is it a space where your employees do their best work? When you're in the right space, it can bring your teams closer together and be where the best talent wants to work. When you're in the right space, it can make your life easier. Whether it's a new HQ or a satellite office, with WeWork, you can find a space that works for you. Visit we.co slash space matters to learn more. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.